Good morning, 1548 Heights members and friends online and in person. Grace and peace to you in abundance. You know, uh, I've been a part of the African-American worship experience on a number of occasions, and one of the traditions is the preacher brings a preaching towel to the pulpit because he's going to get himself so worked up, he's going to need to wipe the sweat off. And when we didn't have AC this morning, I thought, maybe I'll get to do that. I'll get to wipe a little sweat off and be dramatic like that. But we got the air conditioning going. I mean, amen? Let's, let's all say that together. Boom. Boom. It really touched my heart to see those guys out there. One of them was on top of the AC cooling tower. I thought he was trying to rebuke the unclean spirit in it or something. But we got it going. So thank you, men of that team. In just two weeks, we're going to uh, celebrate Baptism Sunday, October 8th. Uh, if you have been thinking and pondering, praying about being baptized to give your life fully to Jesus Christ, uh, we invite you to do that. Some of you are in a position where now it's, it's appropriate, it's time for you, and I know you're thinking and praying about that. So we do that right after the worship service. On, and we'll do that on October 8th. If you'd like to learn more about being baptized, please talk to me or Ann or one of our stewards. Um, we'd love to kind of help you and instruct you in that. We're in the third week of a series on encountering Jesus. Encountering Jesus. We've talked about encountering Jesus the teacher and encountering Jesus the healer. And today we're going to talk about encountering Jesus the missionary. You know, every once in a while in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels and Acts, we'll see the curtain kind of open and close quickly. And we're given a glimpse of something that we never hear about again, but it's just a tiny glimpse. For instance, we're told in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. We didn't even know Peter was married. We kind of feel for Peter's wife, knowing Peter. Uh, And and then that's it. Uh, We never hear about Peter's wife or mother-in-law again. And we have a similar situation in what we're going to talk about today in Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, because we know uh, Jesus and his disciples and the the followers who, who traveled with him were itinerant. They didn't have a, you know, a place where they stayed and made their headquarters. They were itinerant. They moved around uh, uh, Judea and Galilee and um, what's the middle one? Samaria. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you, if you stop to ponder that, you think, wait a minute, what did they live on? What did they live on? How did they feed themselves? You know, the great uh, French general Napoleon said, uh, an army travels on its stomach. Well... <laughs> Uh, most people travel on their stomach. Where do they get the provisions for this? And Luke opens up a little window, a little curtain, and then closes it again quickly. But we're going to read that today. So we're going to focus on Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. Uh, there's a bolt uh, outline in your bulletin today. If you want to open to that, you find it helpful to follow along. I invite you to do that. So listen to the word of the Lord. Soon afterwards, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. 
and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. Thanks be to God for his word and for his living word, Jesus Christ. You know, a frequent question among church leaders is, what is, what is the mission of the local church? We have a mission, we say, at 1548, we're committed to being a transforming church, changing lives for God and for good in the world as God transforms us into the image of Jesus. And, and that's good. That's a good mission. And, and each congregation may articulate a mission statement. Some would say the Great Commission, go into all the world and teach and baptize. Some would say the greatest commandment, love your neighbor and love God, and everything else is commentary. Some would say, uh, focus on the poor and the dispossessed. Some would say, influence political decisions. You know, each church sort of has to make that decision. But as, as one of my mentors said, we can miss the forest for the trees. Because in a certain way, the church is the mission. The church is God's mission to the world. The local church is just a smattering of little outposts of the kingdom of God, platoons of, of, of faithfulness, uh, beachheads of incursion into the world to influence and to, uh, to announce. And so in, in a way, the church is a mission, as well as each church having a specific mission. And so this is where you're out line begins. The local church is God's mission to the world. The local church is God's mission to the world. We who are part of the local church are part of God's mission to the world. We are part of God's signposts of the kingdom of God, temples of worship and welcome. And followers of Jesus have, have always financially supported God's mission. Throughout the history of the church, throughout the history of God's mission. And so here we read that Mary Magdalene, Joanna, wife of Herod, Steward, Chusa, Susanna, and many others were told. And so each of us participates in supporting the mission of God to the world that is the local church. Well, what are some reasons we do that? What are some reasons uh, Christians have always done this? I've listed a couple. First, out of gratitude. Out of gratitude, as Angela talked about. When we think about all that Jesus has done for us, all that we've given, been given in Christ, uh, God's grace of forgiveness, provision, blessing, promises, salvation, we're grateful and we give back. Isn't it interesting that the women who followed Jesus and the group and provided for them out of their means, many of them had been healed or cured of unclean spirits or demons. They were so grateful that they made that, that provision part of their life's mission. And so we, 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 we support the mission of God to the world in the local church partly out of gratitude. This is going to sound really hokey and old-fashioned, but 
uh, by the grace of Angela, I handle the, fan, uh, the finances in our house. I do the kind of monthly bill paying and all that. And I print out a little sheet at the beginning of the month, you know, soper monthly activity. And uh, first is our charitable giving, first of which is the local church. And on to the side in bold letters says, I, I have, thank you, God, for the grace of giving. Isn't that hokey? Uh, but I don't know, it's just, it inspires me and reminds me of the grace of giving. And all of this is so that I can enter the, it in the checkbook. I mean, a lot of our stuff is automated, but I still enter it in the checkbook. A checkbook is a paper product that uh, people born, <laughs> born before 1980 I have some familiarity with. And then after our charitable giving comes our obligations, our bills and savings and what have you. And out to the right of that in bold letters, I, I, I have, thank you, Lord, for your provision. Thank you, Lord, for your provision. And every month I see that. I see that. And, and it sounds a little hokey, but it just kind of reminds me that there is a spiritual element to financial management that I want to lean into. As Luke tells us, Jesus tells us, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we lean into that as we support God's mission to the world in the local church. So partly out of gratitude. Second, we, we give as a spiritual discipline, as a spiritual discipline. In Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives three examples of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. He says, don't do this. Don't do it to be seen by others. And the three are prayer, fasting, and giving. Isn't that interesting? That's sort of the trifecta, you know, of public uh, spiritual piety. Fasting, prayer, and giving. And so weekly, as the local church, we participate in the Lord's Supper. And as Angela mentioned, uh, kind of partly out of convenience, but not only out of convenience, as a sort of related synergy, we offer back to God part of our resources to support God's mission. And the doxology we sing where a person holds up the collection plates is very um, deliberate. Uh, praise God from all whom all blessings flow. We're acknowledging that these blessings come from God, and we give back a portion to give to God. Uh, isn't it significant that in 2 Corinthians 8, the Apostle Paul is, is urging the Corinthians to complete a gift that they had proposed to give to him to bring to the poor Jewish communities in Judea as an as offering of, of support and solidarity because they were quite a bit wealthier than the poor Jewish communities in Judea. And, and, and Paul says, you excel in speech and conduct and faith. I want you to excel also in this grace of giving. Isn't that a beautiful expression? Excel in this grace of giving. See, the local church is uh, kind of like a ship. And we, we, we're part of a ship. And the ship has a mission and a purpose, and we're going somewhere. And everybody does something on the ship. 
you know, uh, some people are more highly skilled than others, more trained, more experienced, stronger, whatever. But everybody does something on the ship. It's a working ship. We're training in discipleship. We're working as laborers in the vineyard. We, we have roles. We, you know, we, we break a sweat, if you will. Uh, here's a picture of... See, two men working on a ship. I, I think of this as Randy and John preparing communion, you know? They're, 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 they're working. They're, they're giving back. They're, they have a role. They do the, now, many people sort of think of the church as a cruise ship, you know? Uh, boy, I hope that I get what I need from this ship, you know? Man, the service is a little slow. Uh, the, the Mai Tais are too weak. Um, you know, the pool's too crowded, the staterooms, you know, not quite what I was hoping for. I don't know. We may need to use a different cruise line in the future. And, you know, it's a fundamental misconception of what we're about here. Uh, and so in that, in that way of thinking, you know, it's what you get out of it. I thought I'd just show you here. Here's a picture of a cruise ship, a guy doing a, doing a, a belly flop while everyone watches. I call that the sermon, you know. Uh, but, but, and so the church is a working ship, not a cruise ship. And we give back as part of our spiritual disciplines. And then third, uh, we give back to support the work of the church as one way of following Jesus. As one way of following Jesus. Not the only way, but a significant way by which we follow Jesus. Um, there's an old uh, sort of hypothetical question. It's, it's good to get you uh, going with some self-reflection and group discussion. Here it goes. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And uh, anybody heard that question before? Okay. Yeah, and so you kind of go into reverse thinking here. So let's just imagine you're, you're sitting with your defense attorney whose job is to help you prove that you're not a Christian. And he's asking you some preliminary questions. Uh, okay, so they're going to look at everything. The prosecution is really going to look at everything. Do you talk about Jesus at work? No. Okay, that's good. Good. Uh, do, do people at work know you go to church? kind of know I'm a little bit of churchy and you know maybe you know okay it's it's okay they can't prove that you know it's a little flimsy um I gotta ask you this do you give financially to the church because they're gonna look at that and it's game over if they find that out because people who aren't Christians don't give to the church and you say I oh, don't worry about that <laughs> we're clear on that you know, it, it, it's, or you say, well, I, I guess I'm busted because, yeah, I do give to the church. I do give to further the mission of God in the world. And, and the defense attorney says, well, we better start thinking about a plea agreement then because they're going to nail you because only Christians do that. And so we give as one way of following Jesus. I've told you this story. When I was in Los Angeles, we were we had a pretty new church building, and a guy who was the director of the D.D. Hirsch Community Mental Health Center called on me, and he wanted to tell me about their services, and he asked to see our new building, and so I gave him a tour. 
And at the end of the tour, he says, I got to ask you, what funds this? And I said, free will offerings. Free will offerings. He goes, what, what are those? He was Jewish. He said, I get a bill. I get a bill. And I looked that up recently. It's generally the practice that in the synagogue, you get a bill commensurate with your income from the synagogue. And you can negotiate. And some people of lesser means uh, are told, we don't expect you to give or whatever. But it's all based on kind of uh, law, not grace. The idea that people could just free will give, like there, there's, no, there's no enforcement, there's no pressure, that was so stunning to him. And it was just kind of an illustration to me of the difference between law and grace. You know, when we give... Uh, it's part of an investment in our mission. Uh, on Tuesday, Yvonne Mendoza, who is our liaison with uh, E2 Brazil, Mark and Ali Kaiser, and Crescimento Limpo there, is going down there to do some training because they said, we are really experiencing staff burnout. And uh, she is a licensed clinical social worker, has a lot of mental health training, and understands trauma the trauma of getting burned out working with uh, people on the streets. And she's going to go down there and do some training on mental health and ministry, etc. And And we're sending her. We're sending her with your gifts, with, with our contributions. And so in so many little ways, our giving uh, flows outward to God's mission in the world. Now, let me just talk uh, about four degrees of financially supporting the mission in the local church. Uh, the first degree is never. Never. You never give. And this can be perplexing to me. Uh, uh, does it flow out of anger or fear or ignorance or what is it? I mean, I guess some people never think, I get, wow, what... what what funds all this, you know? Hey, the AC isn't working today. Well, who, who, who pays to fix that? Um, some people, you know, say, I don't know. I just, I just have this mental block. Of, uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of organized religion. And, and I say, well, amen. You know, I'm with you on that. That's why we're so disorganized. And, uh, you know, <laughs> but generally it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad when people year after year they don't give at all. And it's usually rooted in either fear or selfishness of some kind. Uh, the second degree of financially supporting the mission is occasionally. Occasionally. Um, you know, maybe the mood has to be right or you have to have a certain feeling. Uh, one of the things that Angela told me when we began dating 34, 35 years ago was... She was sort of casual, you know, in her giving. She just occasionally, you know, like she said, if she had $5 in her pocket, put it in, this or that. And it really wasn't disciplined. It really wasn't planned. It really wasn't very mature. And she came right along with me when I explained what I wanted our philosophy of giving to be. And she's completely on board with not being occasional, but uh, being more planned and, and comprehensive than that. Here's the thing. God asks us to give as we get. 
to give as we prosper, uh, to give out of what we have, not out what we don't have. And so, you know, if you get paid every third month or something, God doesn't say, well, well give every week. You give out of that. You give as you receive. It's a beautiful thing. You just give as you receive. When Angela and I both had variable incomes, uh, we, we, we waited to see what came in, and then we gave off of that. And so there's never giving, and then there's occasionally giving. And third, there's regular giving, giving regularly. This is what we ask covenant members to do at 1548 Heights. We just very confidently say, we expect you to give regularly. We don't dictate the amount. We don't, uh, we don't enforce it. We don't uh, investigate it. But this is, a, uh, this is something that moving into covenant membership stipulates is a, a level of maturity and commitment to give regularly. And, and it is a step of faith and maturity. As we receive, we give. Um, I remember talking to a man many years ago in another congregation, and he said to me uh, before our membership class, I got to tell you, I know you're, you're going to tell me that, you, you know, we're expected to give, and I, I just cannot do it right now. I mean, I'm, you know, he's had been through a divorce and this and that, and he, he just, he said, I'm just stretched to the gills up to my neck, et cetera, et cetera. And he was a person of some accomplishment, you know, some, a, a, a sort of an executive level vocation. And, but I understand when, you know, money is just tight and it's just strangling. You know, I said, I understand and I appreciate you telling me that. May I ask you a question? Could you give $10 a week? And he kind of laughed. He goes, well, of course I could. God, yeah, I spend that on coffee. I said, well, why not just start there? Why not just start there? God understands your situation. Just start. Just try. And he said, I'd be too embarrassed to give that little. And I thought, and I said to him, but you're not embarrassed to give nothing? Let me just say, $5 or $10 a week for some people is, is a, a, a stretch. For him, it wouldn't have been. But it was a stigma that he had to wait until everything was, you know, satisfactory with his financial life before he began giving. And I said, just start. Just start. God knows your situation. Do you think God will not be praised that you are making an effort? Wow. And so there is never giving. There is occasional giving. There is regular giving. And let me just say something about regular giving. I want to challenge you in this. Regular giving is, is a, a good thing, but there's a sense in which you can set and forget it, especially in this, this, this uh, age of automated. You know, you can just set the, the thing and you just give, and month after month and month, year after year after year, and pretty soon you know you've been giving that for a decade, and your situation is completely different. And what used to take some effort takes very little effort. And it's rote, and it's static. You know, remember the analogy of the pond? It just sort of gathers, uh, you know, scum on top. <laughs> I hate that image, but it's not a bubbling brook. It's not dynamic. It doesn't represent faith so much as habit. And habit is good, but, but let me, if I could say 
anything here. It's that God sees the effort. God is honored by the effort. God uses the effort, not the amount. That's why we have the story of the widow and the mite. What does this signify for you? What does it cost you? And so we have the fourth degree of giving, and that is passionate giving. Never, regular, or occasional, regular, and then passionate giving. Passionate giving is when we tithe or, or stretch ourselves, and this can be initially very challenging, and I'm going to tell you now, you can't give passionately if it's your last fruits. You will need to transition to first fruits giving where it comes from off the top. Before, if you wait till, till your lifestyle leaves any left over, you're, you're sort of given the scraps. And do any of you experience this at the end of the month? You have left, le- less left over than you thought you would? If you have more left over, would you give a seminar here? <laughs> I mean, it's just the way of life. And so you give, we give to God of the first fruits. And that's passionate giving. I'll never forget this, 2 Samuel 24, 24. David is going to erect an altar on the threshing floor in repentance for his sin. And he goes to Aaronah, the Jebusite. And Aaronah, the Jebusite, says, wait a minute, you're the king. Let me just donate the threshing floor to you. And David says, no, no, no. I'm going to pay for this. Because I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And so the cost to us, the effort, is so important. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that is so intriguing to me that it's not reversed. Not where your heart is, there your treasure will be, but where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I remember, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of a simpleton. I'm not very sophisticated. I just, I just take this at face value. Wow, how I, work, how, I, how I manage my treasure will help affect my heart and vice versa. And so if you're wondering why you're so, you're so dry spiritually and stagnant and lacking vitality, I don't know, maybe check your treasure. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? So where do you see yourself in these four degrees? I want to just challenge you. Take the next step. I want to invite you to take the next step. If you're never giving, just start. Just start. See what happens. Take the step of faith. If you're occasionally giving, set it up to be regular. Plan it. There's so many ways you can even automate it now. Give regularly. If you're giving regularly, examine it. Ask yourself, what does this signify for me? Have I become static, or is this a dynamic effort of faith? And then if you're giving passionately, I I, I say, know this. You will become more and more vital spiritually as you continue to use this as a dynamic um, expression of faith and spiritual discipline. So last point, God promises us that our giving is a multiplier. God promises us that our giving is a multiplier. There's so many promises in the Bible about giving. My favorite is Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of your, of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. 
Honor the Lord with your substance, with the first fruits. Then your vats will be bursting. Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed together, shaken down, running over will be put into your lap, for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. God promises that our giving is a multiplier, releasing into the kingdom, but also doing something to our hearts. Listen to how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 through 11. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. Now listen. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. We trust that somehow the mystery of God is at work when we give and and our gift multiplies into our own hearts, outward, into the world. Now I want to close and I want to speak very personally to you for, for a minute. And I'm going to get out my preaching towel because some of you are fanning yourselves pretty hard. I think the Lord shut down the AC so we could all hear this uh, with maximum discomfort. Um, As most of you know, Angela, I'll be moving up to the Pacific Northwest in four weeks. And, uh, you know, there will be a lot more opportunity to express our love for you and our gratitude for these last eight years. I want you to think of this in one way as this is a transition from being a startup church to being a fully functional church. Uh, when we started up this replant, <laughs> anybody who here back there, 2016, you know, um, we had a few resources. You know, uh, it was pretty grim. And I raised uh, support for the first two years to help pay my salary and... Uh, Many good and faithful friends did that. And we would occasionally get just checks in the mail. I told you how I used to just go to the the mailbox looking for a check. Maybe a check. (laughs) Only takes a minute. And, uh, And we had people from outside the congregation really occasionally and sometimes regularly just sending checks, helping fund this startup. They had a great deal of enthusiasm for a a Church of Christ in the Heights being rejuvenated. Uh, one of Angela's and my extended relatives has been giving every month for the last five years. I think he's one of our strongest givers. <laughs> uh, and uh, he was going to stop when we moved. I asked him, please continue that through the end of the year, but that'll, that'll, that'll go away. And we've had some tremendous gifts given one-time gifts, whoa, I mean, tens of thousands of dollars by people from outside the congregation who want to help us in our mission. Maybe that will continue, but it probably won't. And it'll be up to us, the covenant members at 1548 Heights. Now is the time when we gather ourselves And we say, I'm on the ship. And this is a good ship. God has been faithful assembling the ship. And I want to find my role in the ship. And I want to participate fully, including in my financial giving. And I want to tell you something. In this eight years, we have been a very generous financially giving church. 
We really have. It's kind of almost off the charts. Uh, uh, but it's only about two-thirds of our people. And so this is a time to gather ourselves, everyone. Look at what you give. Why do you give it? What, what does it represent for you? If you don't give, will you start? Will you pitch in? Will you help continue God's mission to the world through 1548 Highs? And just remember, we are the Jose Altuve of churches. 1548 Heights can excel, can continue to excel in the wonderful grace of giving. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much that you promise us that you multiply our gifts, that something happens in us and, and things happen around us when we give, when we, when we just set aside and, and sacrifice and try and make some effort and it's powerful. It's powerful. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that you would speak to each of us how we can examine our giving and, and just make sure it's vital and dynamic, not a static, standalone sort of rote habit, Lord, because we want to be dynamic and vital for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.